Alright, settle down class, I'll be your relief teacher. The uh, regular bloke chucked a sickie. Seeing as our film today features some local Australian wildlife. Thought I'd lob in and give you a trigger warning like you're back in candy. As you Americans seem to lose your shit at the thought of a brown snake being in your boots. So, here we go. Now, in this film, you will see the famous dingo. It's just a fucking dog. Nothing to worry about, as long as you don't piss it off. There is a reason it's famous for eating ankle biters. You will also see the dangerous big eel. Really not that dangerous though, as long as you don't fuck with them. And finally, there's the funnel-web spider. A real corker of an eight-legged fucker. Very venomous, and just like a hill's hoist and a goon sack, extremely common in Australian households. We found the best course of action is to just leave the buggers in the garden alone. Not here to fuck spiders, so bloody don't. Alright, have a crack at it. She'll be right. Give us a yell if you need. like such a crazy show to me because all right all right all right guys let's settle down now class today we have a guest speaker who's sharing uh, a very exciting opportunity so um i'm just gonna go ahead and turn the floor over to mr brad idea Greetings, class. I'd like to get you all in on the ground floor of my new state-of-the-art housing development. You're actually going to be getting in below the ground floor. You're getting more like the dewy, concrete, sewage runoff cave of this deal. It's very exciting. Now, it's a little ways away. It's in the beautiful marsupial field land of New Australia. <laughs> Sydney's suburbs, to be exact. 600 acres of housing, strip malls, and grocery stores all at your fingertips. Each of our attractive split-level houses comes with an in-ground pool, access to green spaces such as parks, and we made sure to build every street over its own indigenous burial ground. (laughs) Yes, you might be asking, well, how did we do this? Aren't indigenous burial grounds much smaller? Well, that's a great question, Gail. We made sure to import the very best burial grounds to use as the foundation for your home. Some say there's a little bit of a wildlife problem. We say it's a wildlife opportunity. Think about it. You get up close and personal relationships to some of the world's deadliest animals. Now, you wouldn't want to pass that up, would you? Our houses are dog-friendly, snake-friendly, spider-friendly. <laughs> Hell, you can even have your boyfriend over while your single dad's out the house trying to make a living for you to pay for your new bathing suit, Missy. <laughs> <laughs> and there's ample police presence. We can't have safe neighborhoods without the police, right? They aren't trained, they don't do much, but they'll put on their hat and run towards you if you're getting maimed. So at least there's someone there to claim the body. (laughs) 
So lease or buy one of Hadacha Development's new properties. We say, at Hadacha Developments, we make the home of your dreams. <laughs> also, Vegemite, Dingoes, Mel Gibson, you know the drill. <laughs> Sign me the hell up. I yeah, see thanks. no downsides. Thanks, Brad Idea, you ruddy drongo. Hadacha, where the modern day meets the mysteries of an ancient race. What was that about a stone? Oh, it's just this thing that Tracy found in her bed yesterday morning. Mrs. Millhouse said it was Aboriginal. Was it anything like this? Where an ancient curse brings death. <laughs> where a holiday becomes a vortex of fear for four friends. Somebody call! Something dragged her under against the current. What the hell is going on? So, let me turn it over to the class. What do you think of that, Mr. Casey Regan? Thank you, Brad Idea. I hate to get so serious, but I gotta just come out with a sort of a health advisory warning. When a significant portion of the body's blood supply accumulates in the progenitive organs, this blood is borrowed from the cerebral hemisphere. If sexual tension is prolonged without release for a sustained period of time, the resulting lack of oxygen to the cerebellum could trigger a seizure of the cerebral hemisphere, meaning extermination of the brain. So no, you don't have to have sex with me. What do you think about this, Mr. Josh Roth? You're listening to KXPZ Exposition Radio, Sydney's number one source for cinematic context. At the top of the hour, we'll be counting down the top ten reasons you should never build a street on an aboriginal burial ground. But first, here's some of the latest hits by Yahoo Serious. <laughs> I miss Kennedy. What'd you think of the movie? <laughs> A dingo ate my Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> and me, Mr. Brad Idea himself, Greg Hansen, a cursed housing development on an ancient burial ground. I bet you can polter guess where this one's going. Matcha, matcha. This movie ruled. Yeah. This was really good. I loved this so much. I was shocked by how much I enjoyed this film. I got this like amazing sense of being a late 80s teen in Sydney, baby. I felt like I really understood A late 80s, 35-year-old teen in Sydney. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Man, Gail, I thought, was her father's girlfriend until they specifically said, hey, daughter, he did. (laughs) Yeah. When when her dad is trying to like mack it with the the girl from the uh, yeah. instructional video is right. like she's like you're fucking young <laughs> like, and he's just like yeah don't don't think about that too hard <laughs> I mean it doesn't help that he's also a young stud well man if I could have the confidence of every male in this movie wearing a speedo like right <laughs> Uh, I'd be a much stronger person. If I was able to pull off one of those like bathrobes that ends yep. just below your scrotum. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sort of person who gets up ready to disrespect a indigenous people's burial plot. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved how unabashedly Australian it was. It was the 80s, Josh. Australians didn't have to apologize anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That time had passed. I do appreciate that the movie starts with credits 
over black and just the banal whirring of a didgeridoo. In case you were wondering where we were going. <laughs> As this woman, it is apparently teenager, but for all intents and purposes right now, an adult woman walking in a billowing white nightgown through a drain pipe. <laughs> yeah, through some sewage runoff. And it shot like... Total Eclipse of the Heart, basically, a 1980s power music video. <laughs> yeah, it is like the Sister Christian. Yeah. Like, the whole time, I, I was like, this better be a fucking dream, because if you are oh, if you are walking through this in your bare feet, you are a nightmare person. Yeah. It is. No, but later when they find the, the sewage runoff cave, they all walk in in bare feet. Yeah. yeah, because the Australians are hobbits. They fear nothing. <laughs> they, yeah. This didgeridoom motif comes back throughout the movie. Like, whenever something is going to happen, the ominous didgeridoo returns. This is where we meet Tracy, who is the first victim, is not the main character. (laughs) So she sort of has this dream. It's the first time we see the dream. And the dream is walking scared through a drainage cave area into a regular cave that has (laughs) Aboriginal paintings and an Aboriginal man Doing a little jig around a fire when the person who's dreaming approaches, the Aboriginal man turns around and ah! <laughs> it's oh, a skeleton. Oh. Suddenly skeleton. And apparently every time you get scared, people open their hands so that he can quickly put a <laughs> geode into their hand and then close it and then they wake up and they now have a stone of death. I love that the crux of this curse is no take backs. Hot potato, the movie. You touched it last, you touched it last, you touched it last. In reality, there is a northern and southern aboriginal practice of bone pointing. I read a bit of, you know, of course, Wikipedia, but then a little other things too. I clicked the footnotes. If there was a member of the tribe who had committed some taboo against the culture in some sort of way, committed a crime, they would involve the Kodaicha, who would make this bone sort of wand. What it was was a long piece, sharpened like a needle, of either a human arm bone or a kangaroo bone or an emu bone, or hey, if you're in a pinch, a piece of wood. With <laughs> you, you work with what you got. With hair uh, resined to one end of it. Kodaicha refers to uh, like shoes they wore when they were on the quote-unquote hunt, which was uh, made up of emu feathers and human or animal fur, which allowed them to walk around and leave no footprints. Ooh. And what what they would do is they would, you know, say the proper incantations, uh, bless the uh, the bone in a certain sort of way, and then the Kodaicha would go on a hunt, find that person needing to be cursed, and then kneel down, point it at them. I read this excerpt from this book. It was talking about how, like, fear is so central to, like, what makes a society a society because so much of, like, society's role in, in our lives is fear like induction and reduction. It's like a society works insofar as it presents fears that we all need to properly react to and also reduces our fears and things that we feel the society should be responsible for. Their implications to all of humanity are most clear and their most extreme examples. And it talks about bone pointing as like, in so much as it can be measurable, there were enough instances recorded of people who have been bone pointed 
dying out of just like having been bone pointed after a person had been boned the rest of the tribe would essentially like totally ostracize them would at a certain point offer them death rights like oh yeah you're gonna die and like after you've been bone pointed this like extreme sort of apathy this sense of like totally giving up on your own life as being like central to the reason why they died so what i'm hearing is bone pointing is cancel culture (laughs) (laughs) these people who observed it saw an effect where like people just like froze as it was happening to them they need to be pointed at and something needs to be said and you'd think you could just like be like la 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 la," (laughs) run away like don't point that bone at me because bone pointing in these cultures was such a very serious thing that it was a like fait accompli that you were gonna die and so you sort of just manifested your own death a self-fulfilling bone-pointing prophecy. Yeah, exactly. That makes a lot of sense in a horror movie, especially a like teen yeah. slasher movie, which this is borrowing from the sort of teen slashers of the eighties. That is America's. That is Western pop culture's sort of like death ritual. The comparisons of Stones of Death to Nightmare on Elm Street are are obvious. What I did like is that Nightmare starred John Saxon, but Stones of Death starred Anglo-Saxon. Uh, But I feel like we should also say that they are attributed to the Arunta people, um, which this movie I don't believe attributes. I think they just use the term Aboriginal over and over again. But, you know, as we know, there are many different peoples that make up any indigenous uh, community in in any one country. This movie just furthered my absolute terror at everything in Australia that wants to kill you. And not only will the animals kill you, but spirits will turn into the animals to kill you. Uh, I love when Tracy wakes up and she finds that she has the stone. It flashes back to like 30 seconds (laughs) earlier. Yes. (laughs) Just in case you missed it. It's like, hey, remember this thing that just happened? Yeah. What's Uh, that stone doing there? Oh, shit. It's the stone from a couple (laughs) seconds ago. (laughs) What? We cut to a different girl. And it's very confusing. We cut to Gail. Right. It's confusing because it's a different girl in a different house, but seemingly with a continuity of motion in that we watch somebody wake up and then we and then we watch somebody completely different get ready for school. And we didn't get a good like a really like awesome look at Tracy, nor do we really get an awesome view of Gail. And especially with the fact that they're all young white women getting ready for school wearing the same clothes. (laughs) The school uniforms don't help we cut from tracy waking up to a woman's foot stepping into dog food so you would you would not be crazy to think oh (laughs) tracy got out of bed and then stepped in dog food but no it's gail this other girl who will be our protagonist for the rest of the film uh her dad's there and they have to establish that it's her dad because they are as we said five years apart Yeah, relatively the same age they established the hell out of that dog they really hannibal when we start to realize that the kadaicha man is willing nature to kill people i was like hannibal gonna kill gail like that's where we're going with this and (laughs) when and when they don't i was like what what the Why did you name the dog Hannibal if you didn't want us to think that? He's just such a fan of Ottoman warlords. (laughs) We start to establish the fact that Gail and her dad have an uncomfortably weird relationship in that he is trying to be young and hit on his co-workers in front of her. Greg, the music he was uh, listening to... Don't you have to do that? What? Act as though you like that music. 
Well, I do. Why, don't you? That's not the point. You're a bit old for it. Yeah, you know, I'll boogie you into the ground any day. No, it was awesome. It was like the Pete and Pete opening intro music. <laughs> yeah, it was very Polaris. And this is the first instance of KXPZ, Exposition <laughs> Radio, where we huh. get a bunch of exposition But can you from call radio. it exposition when none of it has any bearing on the plot? Because I wrote it down like it did, because they're talking about, they think a gain is responsible for six other attacks in 22 days. And I'm like, cool, that's going to be important. But it's not. It's just white noise. Emphasis on white. I, I wasn't even sure what you meant by radio exposition jokes i don't remember it at all <laughs> but maybe it was like early kodaicha kills is that the sequel kodaicha kills kodaicha <laughs> kills as the movie goes on these people lose their friends and get over them in very quick <laughs> like like we don't know how many murders the kodaicha has already committed and they've as a town just like totally moved past live, it live fast die young casey true you know? right <laughs> i mean it's a development every house is exactly like every other house you know you die the next every death is like person. every other death you just get a new lease going gail gets ready for school leaves gets in some guy's car her boyfriend whose name do we ever get uh mike no, it's mike yeah no matt Matt. Matt. God Jesus. damn it. How are we supposed to keep track of Nobody's Of all these white man names. It doesn't really matter so much. It doesn't much, at all. It's inconsequential, which is interesting. I did, I did find my... Matt is a like hugely sympathetic character for me. Matt is yeah. getting railroaded at every... Like, he, yes, like him and Gail are an item, but they see, he seems to just be for his car. Do you have to drive like we're in Indianapolis 500? I'm trying to drive here, Matt. Sorry, Trace. And they really don't respect his his music. There was a part of me that was like when, at the end, he has been possessed by the Kadaicha. I was almost like, hell, Revenge of Matt. Like, <laughs> we could, if, we could, if we could get the Aboriginal Revenge and Revenge of Matt in one fell swoop, I'm happy. This is a good movie to me, yep. baby. They didn't like his 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 beach rock and roll. <laughs> Nobody did. Wait, but, th but that's not true because Gail loved it. Gail was all about it. Uh, I don't know. They they didn't they seem were, very supportive. What? When they're at the river and he's playing a song on an acoustic guitar and they are fucking going buck wild like they're at the electric zoo. Yeah. Uh, that felt that felt pretty. That felt like they were laughing at him a bit. To me. Oh, I don't oh, think that, so. That, no, 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 no. That I, I like, I like, like Matt because were. he's also the one who is encouraging them to take action through this whole thing where like he, yeah. he doesn't be like gail you're crazy you're not gonna be killed but he's like we gotta go talk to billy nudgel right now <laughs> uh, gail runs out into matt's car matt and gail pick up tracy and this is what i was like oh that's Wait, who no, that character they're is friends. Okay. <laughs> right they're friends yep. tracy from the opening yeah we're at the full house intro at this yeah. point <laughs> seatbelts are for pussies <laughs> The first thing they do when they get to school is talk about her weird dream and completely ignoring the teacher. And it really does feel like, yeah, that's that's what you would do in high school. Right. It's like, fuck this. I'm just going to like tell my friends about this crazy ass dream I had. And here's the stone. I brought it to school for show and tell. But that's when we, we established that Ms. Milhouse, their only oh teacher, <laughs> should have been Ms. Exposition. Yes. And it's a good thing that she transferred here last year because otherwise they wouldn't have any idea what's going on. I love right. her. Like usually in this kind of movie, they'll like spend a lot of time researching and then there's this big relevatory moment where they're like, oh my God, this house was built on an Indian burial ground instead you have mrs millhouse going like what's that thing oh boy that's a curse in many aboriginal tribes it was the equivalent of pointing the bone 
The Gadaicha man was a tribal magician. If he gave you one of these, it meant you'd broken tribal law and were condemned to die. It's no wonder you have it. I mean, your houses are built on an on an Aboriginal burial ground. What? Right. Did you, oh, did you didn't you know? know that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, weird. That's. <laughs> I think that should have been number one what? thing you should have known before you. Your dad didn't say anything. That's. That's strange. bad. That's bad. <laughs> er, uh, well, I'm sure it's nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, I, abs- I, love, I love her knowledge. I love her delivery. I love that we're not wasting time. No, no, no. No, no, honey. No, 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 honey. <laughs> Only if you have a dream where the Kadaicha man gives you the stone. <laughs> She's trying to be Will helpful. you definitely die? No, oh, no, no. <laughs> also, I have a question to the class <laughs> and the global class. So please write it. Do we all learn about the American? Revolution, <laughs> Does, like the as a planet species, are there Arunta uh, Aboriginal lessons being given on like Lexington and Concord? Like it just felt crazy because I mean, the one bit of teaching we see while our main characters are still like chatting in the back is just the teacher going the American War of Independence. Like, that's what history class is, is you just list all the wars there's ever been, and then she says, okay, that's it for history, everyone. Feel free to lose all interest in this subject till you're over 50 and bored. (laughs) So as we cut away from Trace contemplating her mortality, we cut to... Her then making out in the backseat of a car with yeah, her boyfriend. Get, her getting a different bone pointed at her. Oh. <laughs> Tracy is dry humping her boyfriend. And <laughs> then they call into the bush, pun intended, uh, and their friends come out who have also been dry humping in right. the bushes. No, not in Australia. Is, I am not trying. Yeah, which is strange <laughs> also. Oh I don't know about you guys, but my high school experience was not, hey, let's go be alone somewhere with our friends. <laughs> <laughs> this is where the movie is quite interesting in that it is an Australian movie and it is heavily dominated by Australian folklore. And this is where you can tell that the movie is made for an American market or at least Mm. is completely underscored by puritanical values. The movie is horny as hell. And (laughs) everyone who dies has had a sexual experience in the movie. Not Frankie. He's a nerd. Frankie, when he's at the library, is told where oh. the, the quote-unquote yep. rude magazines are. All right, all right, and not all right. To, and not to stain them. And he kind of is like, oh, yeah, sure. And then, like, as the friends leave, he has a moment where he's like, huh. <laughs> there is so much phallic symbolism and so much overt sex. Most of the time, it's like, if you have sex, you will die. And this movie is like, everyone has sex and they will die. But we won't see any nudity. That's, that's pretty true to life. Yeah. <laughs> pretty true to life. Everyone has sex and everyone will die. I mean, correlation, causation, you decide. <laughs> In American horror movies, the idea of living without consequences is a punishable thing. All the kids are free and like live without abandon. They don't follow the rules of the school parents nothing and (laughs) for that they are punished it's weird to think of the pre-scene where like tracy and her dude and the other two people show up at this makeout spot and have to like decide who gets to do it in the car and who gets has to go like outside but in terms of teenage amour that is that's not the weirdest position i was even in (laughs) that would be the reverse cowgirl that would be the weirdest (laughs) that's that's the uh the upside down catamaran yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We call it Charlemagne's regret. 
Tracy is not long for this film, though. I sorry, I just wanted to say though, I did like the. I don't. I, no I don't segues, know what, Casey. No, I, no segues back to the plot. Yeah, make it hard for me to edit. Well, we can't move on to Tracy's death without talking about the death that uh, millions of men go through every year when they are left unsatisfied by the frankly selfish and. Uh, culpable <laughs> women who refuse to fuck with. <laughs> Expiration of the brain. This Expiration is of the brain. Expiration of the brain. That was <laughs> that was the truest thing I think I've ever seen written for a high school character in a movie ever. Take blue balls, but please make it deadly. <laughs> if sexual tension is prolonged without release over a sustained period of time, the resulting lack of oxygen to the cerebellum can trigger a seizure of the cerebral hemisphere. Meaning? Expiration of the brain. In your case, Tang, you would notice. That's the sort of madcap sexual assault that we all are sort of encouraged to do. <laughs> this is Australia's version of the dick and the popcorn. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To absolutely. He put He put well, so he much put mustard on that line. Yeah. Oh, it's also so long, put, putting mustard on that particular line is a hot dog reference that I'm <laughs> uncomfortable about. He also put the same amount of research and academic vigor into trying to force her into have sex as I did into the like Kadaicha diatribe I just went off on. Like that <laughs> Like he he did some like mid level googling for that. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine him. He has like pages of Grey's Anatomy like all over his wall, being like, "But how can it work? And it's all just like pieces of yarn drawn towards the pelvic area. Like it's gotta all work together somehow." Tracy like honks the horn and tells her other friends to so, like, "Let's go. I gotta leave." And then when they don't immediately come by he tries again and this time it's not so funny yeah. this time it's like he's pressuring her into doing something she has already now twice said no to and it isn't a fun moment again the verisimilitude of this to have a like madcap funny 80s ha 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 guy is trying to force a woman into sex ain't he incorrigible like one of those scenes that we see so much is then followed by a scene of him getting a little too forceful and it being real and like taking the humor out of that moment i liked i mean i didn't like it but i like <laughs> right the, it's real I, I, in yeah. that like yeah. that moment where it's like as you're coming into sexual blooming you're testing the lines in a way that isn't good right but which means it, but is real like is right. what, what would often happen in, in a moment like this in real life tracy and the new girl whose name i don't think we get yeah she doesn't matter are dropped off and Tracy goes to walk through the park. Her friend warns her strongly against. And like not yeah. to victim blame Tracy, but when if I had spent the day kind of worrying about my like, hmm, what does this dream mean? Could it mean my impending mortality? Like I would not want to walk through a park alone. Like I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Especially at a moment where her friend is like, there's weirdos yeah. in the park. Like, like there have been people, ne'er-do-wells even, And she's like, I can give parts. you a ride home. Like, just wait two <laughs> seconds and like, well, I'll escort you home. And, and Tracy's like, nah, I got it. So she walks. And the ominous didgeridoos return. <laughs> the ominous quick cuts yeah. to canine eyes. And then the ominous canine growls. And then POV of canine attack cam. And then the ominous swings, swinging on their own. Ooh. I loved that there were these 
playground swings that were like just swinging with nobody on them and then she turns yeah. back and they stop see that's, a, that's another <laughs> moment where this movie's all about sex she wants to swing <laughs> <laughs> and related to that as Trace is attacked by this canine monster we don't see uh, we cut to the inside of romance being killed as Gail's uh, <laughs> dad's date kind of goes off the rails because nothing is more of a mood killer than the blood curdling screams of a neighborhood teenager. What was that? It came from over in the park. I better take a look. They find first Tracy's school bag like all torn apart and then they find Tracy with her throat torn out. I like that the first thing they find is this is just her backpack with like her homework everywhere. The dad like kneels down, picks up one of the pieces of paper, sniffs it and he's like Hmm, an hour old. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's strewn out over the seesaw with her throat ripped out. And this is traumatizing in the moment to Gail. Not traumatizing circa the next morning. But, you know, it's a rough, rough moment. Yeah, she gets right. over Trace's death fairly quickly. And as in a, a gnome named Gnorm like immediately finds the small detail of the Kadaicha stone that is sitting on the ground in the dark. And she's just like, wow, <laughs> yes. like, look at this. And somebody else is like, yo, don't touch that. This is a crime scene. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually maybe my favorite moment of the whole movie because that, uh, what I was expecting is she knelt down, found the Kadaicha stone. I was like, oh, my, she's just cursed herself. No. Like she's taken the Kadaicha no, stone. No, as Mrs. Herself. Milhouse said, you need to be gifted the Kadaicha stone. Right. So touching you're right, passing I forgot around, that. It, you're fine, you're fine. <laughs> you can bring but it to show and tell, it, it's fine. It, 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 it wouldn't matter because, yeah, a fucking just a... At, just cop is there to be like, hey, hey, drop that. <laughs> What's that in your hand? Drop it. Drop it. Drop it. You know, I, I love to be subverted. And the I thought it was going to be like, oh, this is maybe important. I'll put it away for my, the teenager's investigation. <laughs> but no, the, the cops were like, no, that's actually our job. Please put that down, ma'am. Then we see Billy, the Blue Ranger, wake and, up. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Right. And 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 he has clearly just had the nightmare. His stone's been gifted to him. <laughs> been propped on his pillow like a mint in a hotel. <laughs> he had a very abridged version of yeah, it. Yeah. It, he still got yeah. the like stone being placed in your hand, skeleton yeah. hand, but yeah, you didn't have like the long ethereal walk through uh, He's not wearing a, a nighty, so <laughs> it's right. less interesting. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. There's nothing to billow. That would have been so sweet if it had like cut if everyone was wearing the same sort of like flowy silk nighty. All the guys too. Also, we haven't said exactly the dream involves like two major things. Walking through other people's poop is in barefoot is one of them. In a, you see a dance troupe. Yeah, you, see you see a, a dance, dance troupe. troupe. You a, it is actually a dance it troupe. It is a dance troupe. Is right. it really? dance. In the credits it says Aboriginal dancers by the Aboriginal dance troupe. That's awesome. Oh, that's great. The troupe though only really gets one move. They get to vogue and then they uh, <laughs> are assimilated into the living force. You've talked about the Kadaicha man and does a little dance, a little jig of himself. In the movie, we are explained it also. Like, yes. we see at least the remnants of some kid being like, and then he put a crystal in my hand and had a scary face. Like, understanding that, like, everyone who has that dream has explained to all their friends exactly what the dream is. Yeah. <laughs> but yet they all still, like, 
Yeah, do Trace, it. I know. <laughs> you, you told me about this. I had the same dream. Yeah, so then you yeah. ask a question, though. Am I just dreaming this because Trace talked about it at lunch today Ooh, and I like, right. had a question or, before bed? I don't know how much experience you guys have with lucid dreaming. But I've had moments where I've thought that I've lucid dreamt, but it always returns to me that I'm like, am I lucid dreaming or am I having a dream that I'm lucid dreaming? <laughs> like, like is the, is the part, is the part, yeah, is the part that I think I'm controlling just part of the dream? That is quite literally Inception. <laughs> so the next Whoa. day, everyone at their lockers is talking about how Tracy <laughs> My ha- favorite shot. has My favorite shot. has has made yeah has made met her untimely demise. Oh, friend died. <laughs> right, and, and it is a great moment when Frankie literally appears from beneath them. <laughs> he pops which is up from beneath frame. It's amazing. What what was that about a stone? I do guess that it could imply that there are bottom lockers, yeah. but I. Choosing to believe that he's like the guy in the Malta meal commercial, being like, there's also great cereals down here. <laughs> I love how Gail takes everything into her own hands and actually takes action. Because she Respect. runs to She's the got... teacher, she runs to Mrs. Millhouse, and asks about the stone, and this is when she confronts her dad about it. I love his response, though, when she's like, you never told me it was on an, in, uh, an aboriginal burial ground, and he just says, you were never interested. <laughs> I felt her indignation was true in that it was unearned. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that the dad is right in this story, he is not, but like... All these like little prep school kids being like, how dare you build on an Indian burial ground? It's like, you, do you know what keeps you in fucking chinos, you motherfucker? Like, do, you, do you understand exactly who is benefiting from all yeah. of this misery? You are we're definitely on the in averages? a private school based on the dress code. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the, the, the runner in this movie that I found particularly off-putting is how often... Gail has to go home to do something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they like have to do these reconnaissance missions for information in like 15 minutes. Bert, and she's like, right. I know we've got a few more friends that are going to die first. So I've got at least two or three days to figure this out. <laughs> you know, her boyfriend, Matt asks, you know, what did he say? She's like, well, he dodged the question. So that means he's probably lying. Let's go make out. And that's what they go do. Again, sweet baby Matt. Like he definitely comes on too strong like all the other guys in this movie. But then when she's like, what are you, in a rush? She's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and like, they go back to just... And he's like, I'll give you a He back gives back. her a back massage. <laughs> Fucking love Matt. Yeah. Damn, cr- damn, Matt. Matt's Matt's the best. Yeah, I love I was, Matt. I was so into you that. You have no complaints from me. Matt, like, mine is, like, his possession's not his fault, so he's a great, he's a great yeah, character. Right. Oh, oh, whatever. Yeah, so what you do under the influence of possession, <laughs> you just write it off. <laughs> You can be possessed by a lot of things. You can be possessed by an aboriginal shaman's of revenge. You could be possessed by fear. Fear of uh, brain hemorrhaging from not busting a nut at critical levels of nut busting. And you know what? Some people's actions during that time, and this is exactly what I told the judge, some people's actions during that time... It's just simply not their fault. The blue balls are the true stones of death. (laughs) (laughs) So we reconvene at the library where Fizz Fizz has been researching independently because she sees the writing on the wall. (laughs) Frankie is there doing research for his history project. And then the next scene, Gail's back at her house. It's nighttime and Billy Nigel 
shows up to just reiterate all of the things that we've learned so far, just in case you're watching this on TV and you missed yeah. the first, the, the part before the commercial break, and you're like, fuck, what happened? And he's like, it's cool, I got you. The street you live in, very bad place. You leave, everybody leave. If you stay, more young white fella die. They literally just saw they, his face they in just, the newspaper. They, we just learned about him minutes ago. And he's like, oh, you've said my name three times in a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> when he comes in, I thought it was like perfect timing because there is literally. like a... Literally. <laughs> literally perfect timing. But it's perfect timing for another reason. With just a, just a dash off in the racial recipe, this movie could have been pretty offensive like this yes, movie could yes. have been like very i mean it is still yes. like uh, it is not a, not offensive necessarily but it is like it's a white uh, it's a white lens we're watching we're, yeah. we're watching like th- they did their homework kind of but it's all done through a white lens and it's very uh, exoticizing yes. of of course of like of aboriginal culture that moment where they see his picture in the newspaper it's like i thought where the movie was going is like here is the face of who's responsible for all this death. And then to like meet Billy Nudgel in the next scene and being like, hey, actually, I'm friendly. <laughs> like, I'm here to help, actually. Got a bad rap. And, yep. and is like trying to warn them and get them out and is like, not like, this is something you brought on yourself, but that doesn't mean we want you to suffer. It's an interesting subversion because the revenge is usually, I, I'll get into this in the ripoff report card, but the the revenge aspect is the white lens, the white perspective in how these stories are told because the ultimate atrocity was done to the people who are now hunting these white victims. And like, so it's interesting to see it from the revenge perspective, but it's still, that's from, uh, that's painting the picture that these new white protagonists are the vic- are the victims. And these people and their revenge story become just kind of, the background upon which it's being painted and it's inconsequential and they kind of get erased a second time. They're both visible and invisible in their own stories. So at least in this case, I I appreciate that it wasn't necessarily entirely a revenge story. <laughs> and that, and that as they talk about in the next scene, Mrs. Millhouse it, it explains that it, the, it's, the conversation is a lot more nuanced than that. <laughs> and also like, also like kind of a nice, a nice inversion of it in terms of like, the white people like brought it on themselves completely. Billy says that he's like he's back to warn her father again. Again. And everything that was caught co- that causes what is to come is from white people's own atrocities and their fear that that same atrocity get, could get turned around back on them. And that's the the crux of this haunting basically. This movie is in so many ways, in both its verisimilitude and in its high concept. The point of this movie is colonial expansion is a crime for which there should be answers. For a movie that is still through a white lens. Mm -hmm. It's not like, this isn't a movie from the perspective of anyone but Gail and the kids. Well, until the next scene when we start with a perspective shot from a spider. (laughs) Oh, that's true. This one. So it's it's a white lens and an arachnid lens. I loved this. This like I macro this. monster cam, I was, I was impressed. It, it no, was, it was awesome. To be honest, I actually don't know how they did that I because was if wondering. you just if you just put a thirty five millimeter camera on the ground, it doesn't look like that. No, yeah, no, there are lenses that are specifically like you know, it's a Chili's ad, and you need to really like travel across those Gotta like grill marks cheese. on a piece of chicken breast <laughs> or something. You know, it's a cool stylistic choice in. A movie that doesn't really like break out of its stylistic chains very often. There's a little bit of panache. It looked good, 
but it is serving the actors less creating atmosphere other than the scenes and the, the dream sequences. And this is a moment where we really get like a bit of directorial flair and, and cinematography flair that I that I think like really works. It's also something yeah. that like I haven't really seen even in other movies of bigger scale or, you know, like not caliber, but more popular films. Like I haven't seen a spider cam like that before and it was it was super cool get yeah. me pictures of spider cam <laughs> <laughs> almost like narratively perfect that type of lens is called a probe lens oh. you're right greg you're, you're making me realize like how little of this movie was sort of like stylistically loud almost none of it really the fact that it that it was playing it straight kind of like helped the believability factor which is mm. nice yeah but it does sort of really highlight and underline the moments when they are using something more stylish and like like a moment like this where it's like it is really effective in a way that I appreciate because sometimes when a movie plays it really straight visually and then tries to do the thing where they're like okay like we clearly didn't have a lot of money so then we got the evil dead cam for this one scene (laughs) it feels it feels really out of place and it feels really rushed yeah Yeah. it's, it's less like we're playing with a cool toy and more of like here's a statement we're making Mm -hmm. with this equipment you're not really sure the nature of the kills and the reveal of this like a long really stylistically interesting point of view as a funnel spider (laughs) the (laughs) fact that this movie then becomes like kadaicha man's killing people with the the animals of the australian outback of the world's deadliest wildlife country non-fictional animals that's what's real But also not the, that's the thing is it's not the, it's not the animals of the Australian outback. It's the animals of the Australian suburbs. Australia is just replete with the world's scariest animals. I'm very happy to live in a place where the the animal that will kill you is, is Is man. man. (laughs) The rest are. neighbor. Australia is a hundred percent one of those places where man has settled despite nature being like, off limits, right? <laughs> like Phoenix, Arizona, the state of Florida, and the country <laughs> slash continent of Australia. Nature has been like, just not here. And we were like, hell no, there. <laughs> right. And Australia is really, it's like one big Phoenix, Arizona surrounded by Florida. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like, that is like really what the place is. We see that the macro lens is this giant fucking spider that leaps onto Frankie's face and bites him in the eye. Eye! He bites him in the eyeball. No. But doesn't have to make quite that big a leap because Frankie, ever the scholar, (laughs) really gets in there to investigate. Like, what is this thing? I think Frankie gets a lot of characterization in a really short amount of screen time and then dies the worst way ever in the history of movies. The idea of a huge spider jumping onto my eye and biting the shit out of me is the worst. Like a true nerd dies screaming for a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that it could be any goddamn animal of the Australian biome is like interesting and fun. You didn't know where they were going to go next. And whether you're alone or not as like the next kill will also show. Right. And different than like... Is a croc going to eat someone? Is like a kangaroo going to like punch someone to death? Is a koala going to rip someone's face off? (laughs) Or like are you going to contract chlamydia from a koala? You don't know. You just (laughs) don't know. Are you putting 
put your dick in koalas, Casey? <laughs> Gotta stop doing that. I mean, uh, <laughs> if I have reached a like certain dangerous level of backup. Oh, if you're gonna have brain explosions. <laughs> <laughs> so now Fizz is having the prophecy death dream. Uh, and she knows what's coming, but still kind of goes through the motions for it. There is a level, though it is in a dream, and, and you're right, we don't know how lucid this dream is, because it could just be they are, like, pulled towards their fate. They are still pulled towards their fate, whether they are doing it out of just a teenage sense of, like, oh, I gotta keep walking, I gotta know what's behind this cave, like, what's this all about? Or, like, that same Bloody Mary Candyman thing of, like, don't say this word in the mirror, and you're just, like, oh, I gotta, I gotta say the word in the mirror <laughs> to see if it's real. I gotta watch that ring tape. All my friends have seen it. I don't want to <laughs> be the only one without something to say around the water cooler on Monday. There God, is, like, a level... if that was the... <laughs> that was truly the plot of the just ring. It's just, yeah. like, listen, I know my friends are dying, but it can't be that. I just got gotta watch it oh no right. it's people cutting off their dicks ah. <laughs> yeah you don't want to be left out of the chat at the office the next day so you gotta watch the... how about that girl in the well right didn't right. see that coming and then in a week there's still like two people left in the office and one to the other is like i knew you didn't watch it <laughs> i knew you fucking did it then uh, Miss Millhouse, after they find Frankie, she like confronts Gail and Matt and tells them a little, like a little further explanation about the Kadaicha, but also to just to just, hey, let's let's not go shouting around at all these like rugby pubs and yes, uh, <laughs> again, talking about the subversion of it all. That like yes, Mrs. Millhouse is concerned that clearly there is a curse; it is real and it is killing her students methodically one by one. But her bigger concern is like um. Listen, if you tell people, specifically white Australians, <laughs> an aboriginal curse is killing their white teenagers, we are going to have a bad string of hate crimes and like you can't yeah. be you can't have this blood on your hands it is a baffling scene though just cinematically speaking in terms of the <laughs> so the, the sheer amount of information <laughs> yes. that could spew from yeah. one character's lips <laughs> in such yeah. rapid succession it really felt like they had shot the entire rest of the movie and they were like oh no Over <laughs> <laughs> our century a group of young black people, they'd have been about your age, were attacked by a gang of bushrangers. They were all killed. The girls were raped first. When the tribe found the bodies, they had no way of knowing who was responsible, so they buried them on sacred ground, where your street is now. And then, in understandable anger, they attacked a nearby white settlement. The next day, whites from all over the country banded together in an armed hunting party, probably including the bushrangers who'd started the trouble in the first place. They hunted the tribe down and shot dead every last man, woman, and child. Now, if people were to get the idea that Aborigines were responsible for what happened to Frankie and Tracy, they would have history repeating itself. That's why I want you to be careful what you say. Am I talking fast? It feels weird that I'm talking so fast. It was a bit like she explained Kadaicha and then needed to explain the side effects of Kadaicha yes. after that. Like, Ask really, your doctor like a right for you. The police are now tailing... Uh, Fizz, her boyfriend, Gail, and her boyfriend. Because even though they don't have evidence, like, yeah, this is a string of teenage murders. I guess we'll, uh... <laughs> Something's gonna right. happen. A on the beach, Fizz realizes that the drainage pipe that's been in everyone's dreams is actually just at the end of the beach. And so they, they go to check it out, and they don't find anything. But they just kind of go like, all right, let's go swimming, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And they go swimming. That's good. All right. Gail's boyfriend is playing the guitar, 
uh, adequately. And <laughs> the cop how d- again, that's how trailing dare you? them. I, I don't understand why why there's so much animosity towards Matt. He's just trying to express himself. When we wake up, wake up in the morning. You can see in the way they're celebrating this song, they think it sucks. <laughs> and look, man, it does suck, but he's 16. I don't know. They are hamming it up. They're having like a two-lady pit. That dude in his zebra-striped uh, long shorty boys looks like he's about to leap out of his fucking skin. He's so excited to hear music. Maybe you didn't experience it like I did, but if there was one surefire way to bully someone in high school, it was to be over-enthusiastic about something they were vulnerable oh, about. Oh, this is wildly specific. But I think throughout this movie, like, at the very beginning, when Matt, who drives everyone everywhere, picks Tracy and Gail up. That's Tracy's real. Like, That's real shit. Tracy's like, I don't drive so fast, Matt. And he's like, okay, I'm, you know, you're welcome, by the way, for the ride to school. <laughs> Never mind. And then, like, the, he's playing a song, and they're all like, woo! We love it. I'm going crazy. This song's so good. And then they're practicing for the band later, and the principal's like, this sucks. Well, that's a principal. <laughs> like the, that's a principal. The, the, the friends are like, no, this is an institutional failure to protect our sweet baby Matt. I'm surprised he didn't freak out and try to stab people earlier. You're playing with dynamite here. And so after after a rollicking round of blues walks, everyone... One of my favorite lines, which was one of the cops in the car turns the other one and, and says I think that's one of them getting killed or what <laughs> ice cold so ice much cold. disrespect I love that. so much disrespect I mean to be fair Matt. this movie does not like cops very no. much no. this is where Fizz meets her untimely end she's coaxed into joining everyone swimming in the billabong in yeah. the billabong and I love the the, love how they pull this off. This is probably the most unrealistic part of the movie in terms of like, it is 1988. They're teenagers. They've definitely seen horror movies before. (laughs) She knows that she's going to die. And she's like, Oh, I will willingly go into the murky water area. (laughs) Come on. But if they left her, if she didn't go in and they all yeah. went in the water without her, like she would have been like FOMO. Too much yeah. FOMO. And, well, and killed. She would have, she would have died of FOMO. FOMO. <laughs> if two of my friends had just died violently, I think I'd take a day off from going to the beach and playing fucking that thing you do. Yeah. On, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, guys, I'm not really in the mood. I think I'm going to stay home actually today. Yeah. But they all get over it. They're all, they all want to keep living. Yep. Which Fizz uh, hangs a lantern on. Like earlier yeah. in the film, she does go to Gail. She's like, your best friend died like yesterday. Are you okay? She's like, yeah, no, it sucks. I feel really sad, but what else are you going to do? Like, I'm just. <laughs> which, is, which is exactly what the school says. Yeah. <laughs> when they're like, three kids yes. have died. Do we want to cancel the dance? And they're like, nothing bad has ever happened at a school dance. Deeply Heathers. Yeah. It's like, like that just curbs straight from Heather. It's like, I get it, and but like we there- can't kill morale. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's also, by the way, that's that's the dad's justification. Sure, I built on an ancient burial ground, but what are you gonna do? <laughs> There's only what so much do? land that in we can Australia. Build on. <laughs> right. So the boyfriends uh, dive down into the water, and Fizz thinks that like one of them is tickling her from underneath the water. 
but one pops up and then she's like oh no stop stop oh, right right me. and th- and this is like a moment where it's like it's like oh no it's not her boyfriend it's the other guy and he's sexy tickling her and and, then and her not him either yeah and gail is a little like haha matt's really going for it very often. but then matt pops up and oh no it's a giant fucking eel when they finally find her body because they go on a search that is maybe like the most visceral experience in the movie for me was the thought of like they call the cops over and all the three remaining kids and the two cops are just like walking through murky waters hoping to trip over their friend's body yeah. hours <laughs> later is... hours pass it is nighttime well it's hours later and after being berated by the cops for the intermittent amount of time yeah. those cops right. are like you piece of shit I will beat your ass if you don't tell me how yeah. your friend died <laughs> there you go that that's policing. That's policing. When they baby. find the body, they they see a glimpse of what it was, and one of the cops goes, "Did you see that? Yeah. What? What was that? An eel? It was either the Loch Ness monster or the biggest fucking eel." And then what is like lead detective Potatoes oh, yeah. line? Oh, <laughs> Dog savage enough to kill a teenage girl. A spider with the fastest acting venom in history, and now a giant eel that thinks it's a boa constrictor. What the hell is going on? So now that this is gone. Gail's turn. And I love the twist here on the dream. So this is like the third time we've seen this dream sequence. So we know the beats. But yeah, we know what's happening. This one's got, got a we twist. Got, we, yeah, we got a little Cirque du Soleil up front, yeah. but that's just a taste. It disappears. <laughs> Tracy and, and Fizz are like cave. dancing along the cave in their dressing gowns. And right. Gail Frolicking. is following. And then she passes the same tribe members. But when she's about to go and meet the shaman, she turns and runs away. <laughs> she's like, nah, nah. Which, yeah. Nah, yeah, that's the right thing Nah, to bitch. Do. <laughs> she's like, uh-uh. Right. Uh-uh-uh. But then we get this great like almost evil dead shot of yeah, her they, yeah they put her on the dolly with yeah. the camera and they just move the dolly it's so, so fucking cool straight back and she's pulled back to the shaman and she's like struggling but then he uh, gets the upper hand and opens her hand shoves the, the stone in it she wakes up and then she's throws the stone across the room because she knows she's lost it's like a spike lee shot when she dollies mm. in, mm-hmm. but not like the American filmmaker. Spike Lee is what they uh, call looking in the camera lens in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got they a Spike Lee? Lee? Oh, you did a Spike Lee. I <laughs> know, oh, nice. she's going all Spike Lee. <laughs> Gail wastes no time. She calls Matt. And she's like, we're going. And they go. And I would love to be a fly on the wall if that really happened in real life. And she calls Matt in the middle of the night. And Matt is, like wakes up and he's groggy and it's his girlfriend. I bet he's like, let's do this, babe. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, great. We're going to go bust down the wall. And he's like, if that's what you call it, sure. <laughs> <laughs> They knock down the wall in the storm drain, <laughs> which is not a euphemism. Well, you can... <laughs> and find the cave. The more I talk, it sounds more like a euphemism. <laughs> and then they find the shaman inside. Yeah, no, I they can't wa- get away they, from it. They walked into the tunnel and hit the back walls. I understand. <laughs> we should be so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, Matt. <laughs> My man. <laughs> My man, hitting back walls. They find the shaman in the cave. <laughs> oh, God, make it stop. And 
a guard, but a guard finds them. Well, they find guard. a yeah, they find a skeleton. They like, find a skeleton. Yeah, it's not, it's a, not the no, shaman yeah, yeah, is not right. standing there. We should it's, qualify. Yeah, it's a dead body because that would be plausible in a horror film. It is the skeleton, the mummified skeleton of the shaman, and they're but they're caught by a security guard who brings them to Gail's dad. This time, when Gail confronts her dad, he does cop to. The fact that they found the cave during construction, but he's like, well, what are you going to do? And we kept building. Yeah. <laughs> One thing about this movie that it has above every other movie is the ability to phone the Heritage Commission, which is just not a thing that has ever yes. happened in any other movie, I think. So that's yeah, Well, that's like, notable. America would laugh in your face. It's like, I'm going to call the National Historic Society. It's like... <laughs> All right, capitalism, bitch. <laughs> yeah, I think if somebody was like, I'm going to call the historical society, they'd be like, if they pick up. <laughs> but Matt really, like, become, <laughs> like, really puts on the big boy pants for that conversation with his girlfriend's dad to be like, you're not, you're never going to get away with this. And her dad's like, I literally already did. I don't know, like, yeah. what less I could get away with if we tried at this point. <laughs> Gail pulls the, I'm going to call the society card and for some reason, oh, Dad folds caves. like a wallet. Yeah. yeah, he gives them the uh, the address of Billy Nudgel. He says we were already there. He's not there, but they go anyway. And this, we have this this discussion of the school dance that's coming up. And so, me being a horror movie fan is mm-hmm. like, like okay, we have Nightmare on Elm Street. We have Poltergeist. We're gonna end it. Carrie. Yep. <laughs> the logical seems, conclusion. Seems no. plausible. No, they make just quite a lot of bones about how important <laughs> the school dance is. And we have a, a new character introduced <laughs> just to discuss the fact that the, yes, in fact, the school dance is still on. We can't kill the morale here. And is also pointing with his presumably filled coffee cup yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah. And that was really wicking me out. I was just like, dude, what are you doing? Nah, yeah, he's like the lieutenant in the fucking great escape yeah. he's just walking around like saying yeah sorry about your dead friends but stiff up a lip never before has like a third act set piece been more inconsequential to the plot of the movie yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> truly yeah like incredibly set up and never paid off but, like like they're there it's really only there so that we can once again talk down to my, my sweet baby Matt <laughs> we gotta like ru- make him feel like an idiot because him and the, him and the boys are like rehearsing in an earlier scene and the principal is, you call uh, that music? <laughs> yeah. yeah well, All that ruddy noise! Where have I seen this before? A principal mm. and a band mm. playing basically Johnny Be Good, mm-hmm. and it doesn't... Hmm. Mm. Your kids are going to love it. <laughs> it's me, your cousin, Bruce. <laughs> Bruce Barry. <laughs> Gail and Matt. Drive up to Billy Nudgel's address. Yeah, His Billy granddaughter Nudgel. brings them back to brings him into the house to talk to him, and he explains that the Kadaicha man can turn into animals and follow her wherever she goes. So basically, there's no fucking escape. Yeah, once you're marked for death, like there's yeah. nothing you can do. What you should have done was move when I told <laughs> you to move, but now like there's right. nothing you can do. Sorry. The police show up to be like. Uh, hey, we've been trying to speak to this Billy Nudgel guy. Did you guys see him? And Gail, because she's a baller and uh, knows, checks her privilege, goes, nope, he wasn't home. Ally. My bad. <laughs> and, right. and Billy Nudgel's granddaughter respects this. Yeah, she clocks that. You know, that was the cops outside. Wanted to know if you were here. Well, she told them no. 
She did another thing in that scene too, which I found was very interesting. She made me fall in love with him. <laughs> I didn't know my type was uh, Australian Aboriginal, like Lisa Bonet. <laughs> like, <laughs> like vanity on the outback. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, but dab a didgeridoo. <laughs> Gail is, continues this to great be haunted. Scene. This scene is amazing. She goes to like wash her hands. And when she does, the stone appears in her hand. One of the bathroom stall door starts banging open and closed. The lights flicker. It's a very, like, evil dead thing. I was very into it. And then a hand reaches up from the drain but, and grabs her foot. But before that, we do have f- drain POV shot, which in a horror movie is never good. <laughs> no. I love she turns around and she sees Fizz and Tracy all bloody and dead talking about what they're going to wear to the, the to the dance. Yeah, it's like a little American werewolf in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to wear tonight? This great low-cut black Morticia dress with these great green shoes. It sounds fantastic. I love that the Kardashian man basically is messing with her at this point. Like, he's like, we could have had easy deaths like your other friends. We could have just, like, called it, called it quits, you die, but... Nope, you wanted to play it the hard way, so now I'm going to haunt you until you until we can... Yeah, you couldn't have kept this between us. You had to go to Billy Nudgel, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> and she runs out screaming, rightfully so. Matt drives her back home. Because she always wants to just go fucking home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So she's, she's like, home is the too, problem, <laughs> so I need to be go. closer to it. And yeah. he's going to go get help from Billy Nudgel. He's like, fuck this, we're getting Billy. Billy agrees to help, uh, and, he t- and he has... The other boyfriend, whose name I never got, follow him on foot through, like, the bush while Matt is going to drive over to the house. And we spend, like, a long time on Matt's face while driving, which we'll come back later because something's happening to Matt. It's a cool shot. It's it's pretty cool. It's like a slow push-in. Yeah, yeah. It feels very Ryan Gosling in Drive. Like (laughs) (laughs) Billy Nudgel and the other boyfriend walk through the storm drain, and they go into the cave. Billy lights a fire and he starts doing the shaman's dance from the dream. And Gail is at home and her dad is kind of grilling her for no particular reason. And Because and she, he like, she interrupted him making a phone date. He's like, I'm going to go feed my dog because that's <laughs> what I do. And he ends up going into the garage and as if in to catch a predator, all the doors <laughs> close behind him. Can you have a seat, please? And- Can you have a seat? <laughs> Take a seat, please. You said here you wanted to blank on our burial blank. <laughs> <laughs> it's made even better when Gail comes over. Oh, and yeah. The, and the dad says, Gail, I've locked myself in. And she says, this door doesn't even lock. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when Matt has driven up to the house. He sends the cops away, which is our second sign that something's up with Matt. Gail hears Hannibal's barking and it like stops abruptly. She goes out Boo. to the pool and finds Boo. his body floating there. Boo. Boo. Well, and we get, and we get the, the scream, like turn on all the lights close up mm, of yeah. the, of the thing that we're, that, you know, like that we're supposed to see, which is cool. It's horrible. And I don't like seeing the doggo die. But uh, we don't actually necessarily know for sure it was Possessed Matt who did it. Maybe uh, Hannibal just needed to come and couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Continuing to be an amazing final girl, Gail... Uh, just pulls a knife from the kitchen. Not not a knife. No, yeah. a saber. This is a knife. Right. Yeah. 
<laughs> Gail yeah. lets Matt in, but he has snake eyes. Yes. Yeah. So he's possessed. Uh, and one is like slightly yeah, askew. Yeah, that, that was, was, that was, the that was so like... sweet. Matt's been possessed or something. Whoa, that contact is just not <laughs> in, right? He's got one lazy eye as a possessed person. <laughs> Yeah. And this begins our like shining so motif, good. basically, because we've got Matt chasing her around the house with like a sledgehammer. We've got while her dad is also trying to break through the door. Granted, he's not the killer, but the imagery is there. Yeah, he yeah. axes through the door. And really the sweetest moment in this whole sequence is when Matt ends up with the knife and tries to stab her and she fucking deflects <laughs> it with a book. Yeah. Yeah. Knowledge is power. <laughs> and the knife like goes right through the book. He's uh he starts to like choke her out and we get an amazing cutaway. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the band is whiffing it right now. <laughs> Yeah. Because Matt's not there, their trusted band leader is not there, and and uh, and the second guitarist who earlier like couldn't hold down a riff in C, right, is just like I don't know these songs. <laughs> yeah, he's like, where did Matt go? Cut back to Matt strangling Gail. <laughs> yeah, Matt writes all the songs. He's not there. The other kids are on stage being like, please, can we stop performing? I what like what our band member's not here can we stop and the principal's like no it's necessary for the school we need to get past this billy performs a ritual her dad gets out of the garage he tries to stop matt but matt overpowers him and then the shaman skeleton bursts into flames and there's an, in another cool stylistic choice it's overlaid with um, matt's face melting and then like turning back to normal and then he just like mm. passes out. The imagery of the exorcism of Matt was very very cool. At the house the police are showed up and so has Billy Nudgel and he tells Gail's dad that like the rest is up to him like at this point he's done everything he could do. He's exorcised the demon like if you if you want this shit to end this is on you buddy. Which is like kind of yeah. great. It's like no 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 you don't get to keep living consequence free like i saved your daughter's life but mm, it's not gonna stop these guys I, I i bought you two three days at most i don't know get get out of here and we cut to the storm drain and we get exposition radio telling us yeah. that this entire street has to be moved because of bad you know foundation what? to fucking dad's credit man like i was so sure that this was gonna be like you gotta get out of here the rest is up to you more people are gonna die unless you leave and then the dad be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting a, an entire community to be moved for the yeah. sake of, you know, that doesn't happen to white no. people. Just this once, the cave is cemented over. And as the film departs, we have a lingering shot. The film of... departs. Sorry, just the phrase, as the film departs. As the film departs. Shuffles off this mortal film reel <laughs> yeah just josh standing on a seaside cliff waving a hanky at the at, at <laughs> stones of death on a ship <laughs> sailing away oh. <laughs> boy, boy, <laughs> have a nice trip a snake slithers across the trowel and film well and not film. end film cut to end credits with a song that sounds like Hootie and the Killer Blowfish. <laughs> right. 
Australia killer blowfish, obviously. Obviously. I come from a land down under, <laughs> neath my house where you plundered. <laughs> my culture and it made my bones in <laughs> to stuff that I'll kill you with a scorpion. <laughs> so this is me, Mr. Brad Idea. I'd like to introduce a guest for our ripoff report card, <gasps> Ms. Jamie Kennedy. The Stones of Death Ripoff Report Card is brought to you by the Kangalula Funeral Home and Mortuary. Didgeridoo't be caught off guard by end of life plans. We've got your down under covered. <laughs> the Indian burial ground trope is a motif that runs so deep in film history that it sometimes is even attributed to classics that never evoked it. In an example of the Mandela effect, many people believe the movie Poltergeist was one of the originators of the trope, despite that the fact that the film explicitly says the house isn't on top of an ancient tribal burial ground. <gasps> yeah, it's just a cemetery. <laughs> but that collective misunderstanding just goes to show how prevalent the trope is in our consciousness. But what is its history? The Indian Burial Ground, or IBG for short, trope, is generally traced back by horror fans to the 1977 book The Amityville Horror and later the 1979 film adaptation. In the book, the owners of the house, the Lutz family, claimed that their house was built on some sort of sanitarium used by the Shinnecock Indians in which the sick and dying were imprisoned to die horrible deaths. Claims that the Amityville Horror was based on a true story gave the IBG theory legs and skyrocketed its popularity as a plot device in the late 1970s and 80s in a handful of horror properties including The Shining, Kubrick's version, Pet Cemetery, Silent Hill Revelation, and the 1983 B-movie Scalps. The problem, however, besides it just becoming a crutch for hand-waving away the origin of spooky scaries in horror films, is that it's not a real thing. Pre-Columbian peoples identified as hundreds of totally different communities, families, and nations without many similarities between them, and there was no universal concept for the burying and treatment of the dead, or an IBG. Some communities held higher reverence for the dead than others. Some communities held the belief that hauntings can arise from the mistreatment of the dead, but this is also a superstition shared by other cultures from the Thai to Ashkenazic Judaism, so there's nothing particularly quote-unquote Indian about it. In fact, with the Amityville Horror, although all land is native land, the Shinnecock people lived on the opposite end of Long Island from where the house was built. Also, huh. the Montauket Nation, closely related to the Shinnecock, have repeatedly denied anything like the sanitarium ever existed, and from what's known of Shinnecock myths and legends, they didn't appear to have any notable burial ghost myths. So with none of it rooted in fact, how did the IBG trope gain so much prevalence? IBGs don't really add anything to a plot that a regular cemetery couldn't do. Native writer Terry Jean gave five possible theories in her essay, Another Indian Burial Ground, Please. <laughs> One, the I... <laughs> That's a fucking great title. Sick. One, the IBG plot worked in one movie, so keep writing it as long as it sells. Two, graveyards are well marked while an IBG could be anywhere, a writer's plot contrivance dream. Three, a native villain plays into stereotypes that have been around since colonization. Four, people are afraid of what they don't know. And five, fear and guilt, stating, quote, Indians are so incomprehensible to whites as to seem virtually magical, which is scary. And of course, many post-Columbian immigrants harbored massive unresolved guilt over the fate of the pre-Columbian peoples and feared retaliation. American consciousness of indigenous communities hit a relative high around the time of the Amityville Horror as well. The book was not long after the famous crying Indian anti-littering ad of the 
Portuguese, which shifted the perspective of the American Indian from the fearful savage imagery to something more akin to a survivor. As the trope emerged, so did many organizations such as the American Indian Advocacy Group and the Trail of Broken Treaties. The Indian Civil Rights Act was passed in 1968. In 1978, the American Indian Religious Freedom Act reversed the outlaw of specific practices and ceremonies. The sudden allowance, at least on paper, of practices that had once been seen as too mystical and esoteric, at least to white perspectives, led to a rise in the exploration of fear of non-monotheistic religions and beliefs in cinema. Indigenous peoples were collectively on everyone's minds, and thus fiction latched onto it, albeit all entirely from a white perspective. Again, Terry Jean explains, Americans know that atrocities were committed and hundreds of nations were obliterated or nearly obliterated. Retribution is feared, and some people may believe that the ghosts of those who died, died to this nation's invasion and European takeover, will one day come back to get their revenge. So if this tradition of exacting atrocities on indigenous peoples and then fearing retribution is as American as well exacting atrocities on indigenous peoples and then fearing retribution. How, how do we see this trope evolve and emerge in other countries' national cinema? It takes shape in the form of other oppressed peoples or others. Familiar plot lines such as the curse of the pharaoh, gypsy curses, voodoo, and the African burial ground trope. There is no shortage of sources for horror films that can center the fear of other for white protagonists. Australia, the country behind our movie today, is particularly interesting case study. Australian horror movies were largely non-existent before the 1970s, and since then have struggled to gain acceptance with local audiences. 2005's Wolf Creek was the first genuine Aussie horror to score major domestic commercial success. The reason for this is from 1949 to 1968, almost every horror movie was banned in Australia, so what? there was no incentive to make them. Horror in America and Europe drew on authors such as Edgar Allan Poe and Bram Stoker with stories that drew from rich folklore and centuries-old superstitions, traditions you don't get in a sparsely populated land that only had been settled by Europeans in 1788. Tales from Australia instead focused on pioneer life in harsh landscapes and isolation. Australian horror was therefore not only late to the game, but also suffered from cultural cringe, as coined by Melbourne social commentator A.A. Phillips, to describe the sense of cultural inferiority as Australians felt, believing horror was best done by Americans and Europeans. It only began to find its feet in the late 1970s when Italian producer Antony E. Giannone produced a series of Ozploitations films, <laughs> and would later find slightly more prominence in the 2000s indie circuit with James Wan and the Saw franchise and Jennifer Kent's The Babadook. Still, despite all its shortcomings, it's easy to see the IBG trope and its theme of otherness through a white lens find its way into some Australian horror, including this film and 1988's The Dreaming, which also deals with the opening of an aboriginal tomb and the spirits coming to exact revenge centuries later. Australia, after all, much like America, was built on white settlers displacing indigenous peoples. So what's the future of the IBG trope? Well. Hopefully there isn't much of one. After an oversaturation of media in the 70s and 80s, IBGs became largely relegated to punchlines and parody. And that's probably for the best, as in mainstream cinema, it renders indigenous people both hyper-visible and invisible. Although the stories on the surface are about them and the atrocities committed upon them, at the end of the day, whiteness is centered and their stories are relegated to how they impact white people past and present. In her essay, this essay was not built on an Indian burial ground, Writer Ariel Smith. <laughs> okay. Man, they got they got good they titles they, for these they essays. They nailed these. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Writer Ariel Smith says, as indigenous peoples, we understand this violence. We understand genocide and trauma. We understand horror. We live it every day. 
but still horror movies that utilize those very specific historical horrors use it only in a way that play into the quote white delusions of ownership entitlement and victimization that whiteness is a standard that is disrupted or haunted by otherness even in the ways that stones of death try to subvert these tropes whatever good intentions we can see in that subversion is then subverted again by its filmmakers director james boggle called this movie just very commercial stuff and has never really elaborated beyond that <laughs> moving forward there's perhaps no redemption for the ibg trope as long as it's in the hands of white filmmakers even hauntings can be spaces for decolonization and revolution. So perhaps it's best to turn our attention to movies in the horror genre made by native filmmakers. Some examples being He Can't Be Caught, These Walls, The Deadlands, and the works of filmmaker Jeff Barnaby. And just stage your next haunted house on top of your regular run-of-the-mill cemetery, please. And that was the Ripoff Report Card. Yeah! Jamie, I can't wait to hear your follow-up about the etymology of swamp gas. I come from a land down under, neath your house, because you plundered <laughs> my culture to make your backyard. <laughs> and guys will die if they just stay hard. So don't stay hard. <laughs> rip, 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 rip off. Rip, 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 off report card. Rip, 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 off. Rip, 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 off report card. Bathroom stallers and nonstop blue ballers. Anyway, that is Stones of Death, also known as Kadaicha. What are we taking away from this film? What could end up on the final test? This just confirmed everything I've always feared. Australia looks beautiful. I would love to travel there someday, but I don't want to because everything there will kill me. <laughs> yeah. Gallup lesson. You know what I always say? Freddy Krueger? I hardly knew her. <laughs> <laughs> you do always say it, and it never made sense <laughs> until right now. <laughs> Stopped clock Hanson. This is a little another little nugget in the rich history of the IBG trope. Lake Shawnee Amusement Park was founded in 1926 in West Virginia. Uh, in 1783, three settler children were rumored to have been murdered by a Native American tribe, and their family later sought vengeance and killed several Native Americans. So they believe this amusement park has been cursed because of that. Uh, in the 1950s, two young children died tragically and violently during two accidents in the park, and six people total were rumored to have died there, and it was closed until the 1980s when they tried to reopen it again, only to find the remains of 13 Native American bodies on the site, most of them children. The park was closed. Um, so it's hard not to see the parallels between this cursed park and the preventative retribution of white settlers on a Native American tribe and this park that has been cited in the scariest places in America as maybe also another influence for the plot of Stones of Death. What? Yeah. It also Whoa. should have been the plot of Funland. Yes! <laughs> yes! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, that was great, Jamie, and uh, that's good you did that because you allow me to get serious if I yeah, can yeah. just get serious again. Uh-oh. A significant proportion of the body's blood supply, <laughs> when it accumulates in the progenitive organs, this blood borrowed from the c- cerebral hemisphere 
if sexual tension is prolonged without release for a sustained don't silence me. Get don't you can't have my microphone for a sustained period of time. The result get away, Greg, stop pointing your bone at me. Get away from me. The resulting lack of oxygen to the cere- cerebellum can trigger a seizure. Casey, Casey, you need to stop. Casey! No, wait, no, don't let me finish. Let me finish. It's no, deadly if point. I don't I'm finish. No, that's the point. I'm not going to let you finish. <laughs> no, please, you're killing me. You're killing me. Well, you've just been bone-pointed by Stones of Death, a.k.a. Kadaicha. Thank you to Seth Applebaum of Ghost Funk Orchestra and Gabriella Tessitore of Scout Harris for our theme song, Anne Shearer for our logo, Justin Ferraro of The Rizzos for our bed music, and we'd like to extend a personal thank you to our relief teacher, John O'Field. Music in his section was performed by Tupaga Wiradjuri, an Aboriginal tribe, artist and musician Lewis Burns. Tune in next time for the unlikely mashup of young Toby Maguire and old Mickey Rooney in Revenge of the Red Baron. Thank you from the whole Video High crew, Casey Regan, Jamie Kennedy, Josh Roth, and myself, Greg Hansen. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I've always said first step towards true anti-colonization is to kill the tan, virile, kimono-wearing real estate developer in your mind. (laughs) In your ear. Podcast Network.